The second quarter was two-pronged. It had an effect both for the Bucks and for the Sun. Quoting Jerry Seinfeld, you believe this will have a two-pronged effect. We talked about the roommate switch, right? Great episode. I got it! This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. come into work every day around 11 11 15 if i'm a little behind and then i'm here till about seven at night right now the show's four to six but i gotta get ready for the show do some logistical things some other things throughout the day and then i'm here for probably about an hour after the show and then i I go home today i got into work a little bit early because i decided this morning uh this tv in my living room is just not it's not sufficient it's not enough we need more the Bucks are in the NBA Finals. I think the TV I had is like 38 inches, and it was just a piece of dump. And I moved into a new place this spring. We just hadn't upgraded yet. Today, we're like, we need to get a new TV before tonight. So I got to work early. I carved out this little window in my afternoon, ran to Walmart, got a new TV. Wouldn't fit in the car. Great. Drove home with the door open. Awesome. Got it on the stand and just looked at it. Like, God, I can't, can't wait for tonight. Do you know the song, She Keeps the Home Fires Burning? by Ronnie Millsap. Great song. All of Ronnie's songs are fantastic. It's this trope, like, yeah, I'm a hardworking man, but I get through my work day because I got a beautiful wife waiting at home. You know, like that idea. For me, it's the same, but it's not a beautiful wife. It's just a brand new TV, and I know that when I'm done with work tonight, I'm going to walk in the door and, God, I can't wait. New TV day. There's nothing better. So game four tonight to watch it on the brand new TV. We need to preview this game. Preview, 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 preview. All different angles. Eye on the enemy, right? We'll take a listen inside the locker room. I mean, all that crap that you do when you preview a game. Definitely going to preview game four tonight, but I had to start the show by saying uh, I will be watching on a brand new TV tonight. Just so everyone's aware, at 65 inches. Yeah, it went all out. 70 would have been too much. Come on. That's, that's over the top. It's the Wisco Sports Show. My name, Grant Bills. I hope you've had a swell day. I can feel the tension in the air. A 2-1 game four. This isn't as pivotal as it gets in the hierarchy of of pivotal outcomes in a series. Obviously, a game seven is the most. And then a a 2-2 tied game five. But then I think next is 2-1. You have one team with an opportunity to essentially end it and go up 3-1. And another team with an opportunity to tie it 2-2 and carry all the momentum into what becomes a best of three. Okay, there's a lot on the line tonight, so naturally we're going to get into that game. I can just feel... I think for Bucks fans, it's a positive energy because the Bucks are playing with the momentum. The Phoenix Suns are trying to kill the momentum. I would rather be up two games to one if it were my team, but I, I have no quarrel with being the team that, that has the energy and is seemingly improving rather than the team that, that has to like put out the fire of the other team. I, I like the spot that we're in. We're going to talk a lot about the Bucks tonight. I think the first four minutes of the game are crucial, which kind of goes against everything that I've said over the last two weeks and tweeted, if you follow me on Twitter, at Wisco Grant, my God. But I'm going to share with you why the first four minutes are going to be so important. That's coming up at 4.20. At 4.35, Seth Partnow of The Athletic, you might know him on Twitter as Anchorage Man, spent time in the Bucks front office, now he covers League for The Athletics. Incredibly smart dude. So, 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 so smart. If you read his stuff, at least I have to slow down. I got to take notes. I got to reread. But I always learn something about these really important parts of these games because something I've realized, and maybe you've realized this too, 
I've never had to pay this close attention to a basketball series before. You know, like regular season, oh, they beat the, the Hornets last night. Nice. Giannis had 27 and 10. That's a good series. Well, no, you get to the NBA Finals, and it's like, how are they defending the high pick and roll? Like, what combination of players is most effective? At the end of the game, what's their crunch time lineup, right? How is Chris Paul, are they diving under screens? they going over? Like, man, I, oh. There's so many things you need to know to be able to really, really key in and, and try to break down these series. And Seth is one of my favorite authors to read, so he's taught me a lot over the last couple of weeks. Some of that stuff I've shared on the show. Some of it's just interesting to know. We'll talk to him at 435. We're going to talk about Aaron Rodgers like I promised at 530. Oh, are we going to talk about Aaron Rodgers? Oh, 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 I'm so excited. We got a a little juicy nugget, a little tidbit. Uh, Adam Schefter went on Chris Collinsworth podcast. And it's just, it's, it's, it's stupid. It's dumb. And I want to talk about that at 530. I'm very excited. You can be a part of the show. 608-796-2558. Send me a text. You can tweet me as well. I swear if this is Schmidt on the, Schmidt on the north side. I'm not reading your text until after the next break. You got to vary the time that you reach out to the show. I, 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 we need to mix it up, right? We can't get in a rut with the same people calling it at the same time and the same people texting at the same time. We need to mix it up. Schmidt, I see you texted about Chris Middleton. I'm sure it's great. I'm not getting to it for another 15 minutes, okay? I'm not letting you decide how the show starts. I decide how the show starts, and I want to start by talking about the All-Star game last night. It's the first time I've actually watched in a few years. I, I said on yesterday's show, I was like, I'm probably not going to watch. I'll find something else to do. Well, I did uh, I did not find something else to do. I realized last night how little of a life I have, which is, which is fine. This is a solid baseball game. The American League has won now how many in a row? I had it in front of me eight in a row, seven in a row. Who cares? It's the all-star game. It doesn't even mean anything. But the American League is on a heater, and they have been. I don't remember the last time the NL won. And I want to start with the all-star game for a few reasons. It's topical. It was last night. So it's the thing to discuss. It's interesting, and it's not the Bucs. And we've talked so much about the Bucs, and I love that. Rightfully so. They're in the NBA Finals. But I know that the NBA isn't everyone's main squeeze. So today I want to work in just a little baseball, work in just a little Aaron Rodgers, so everyone feels included. Everybody's got a dish that they can dig into, right? It's nothing worse than being at the family gathering and all the food just sucks and there's nothing for you, right? Yeah, we have a meal for everyone today, a nice dish for everybody. Talk so much about the Bucks that I want to work this in. I loved some some parts of the All-Star game last night, excuse me, but I hated other parts. And I think some of the bad parts of the All-Star game overshadowed the good parts. And I think that that's just a microcosm of baseball as a whole. Like, there's so much going on, but it's overshadowed by all these stupid things. And I think the All-Star game last night was a microcosm for, for the bigger picture of baseball and the issues that the league has. I need to start with this because last night it's all I could focus on. You saw me tweeting about it. What in the Sam Hill were those jerseys? Those were, I, I, what, what were they? Who made those? And you might be thinking, oh my God, Grant's really starting the show talking about jerseys? Yes. Yes, I am. Yes, I am going to talk about this. We live in a society and we have certain standards of what is okay and what's not okay. Those jerseys weren't okay. Those jerseys look like they were picked off the back rack of the boys' aisle in Goodwill. And you're like, oh, this is a jersey. Maybe it's a gem. Actually, I don't know what this is. I don't know what team this is or what this is from. I'm going to put it back. That's what they look like. Just a swing and a miss, a zero out of ten in every single regard. Material, look cheap. Graphics, confusing and contradictive. Colors, ass ugly. I, why? Why? Why, why, why? And I get it's such a a small part of the bigger picture here, but it's a small part that's not that hard to get right. 
just have them wear their own jerseys. That's cool. That's dope. You're marketing the individual teams. What a cool look for the Blue Jays. Nobody ever watches the Blue Jays, but hey, there's Vlad Jr., a bunch of other players from the Blue Jays. They all got their own jerseys on. How cool is that? Instead, we got, I, what were those? I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. And I understand that sometimes jerseys, they age poorly. All-star game jerseys typically do. Like five years later, we look back and we're like, oh my God, they look like, they look like party favors. But these are ugly right now. These didn't age poorly. These are just poor. I'm not exaggerating. These jerseys tainted my all-star game experience last night. Like, I'm watching the game, and I'm like, oh, what a nice play by God. Those jerseys are ugly. Look at the guy. Look at Chris Bryant. He's interviewing in left field, and I know what he's thinking. He's thinking, God, I wish I wasn't on TV in this stupid-looking jersey. It's supposed to say CHC for Chicago Cubs, but it's covered up with the logo, so it looks like a giraffe, and the, the material might as well be Kleenex. It looks cheap. I just... Moving on. I don't want to dwell on that, but I, I needed to get that off my chest. Now, I watched the game on mute, but I'm about to I'm about to talk about the broadcast crew, which I get. Like, how can you talk about the broadcast if you watched on mute? Okay, I, I get it. But I all I noticed while watching, other than the jerseys, were the player interviews. In the dugout, on the field, right? There's now fielder, infielder, Freddie Freeman, Chris Bryant, Shohei Otani. Through a translator, mind you, and I swear, I swear, Fox did that interview— I, Fox interviewed Shohei through his interpreter. I guarantee somebody in the production meeting is like, oh, ESPN thinks it's a bad thing. We're going inter- to, what a terrible look for ESPN. Let's interview him during the game. Just to rub salt in the wound of Stephen A. Smith and ESPN and Disney. I, get, I guarantee it. Somebody had to say that. That's so funny. But the game was dominated by these player interviews. And I get it's the all-star game. It's, it's not, it's supposed to be fun and it's not supposed to be official. Okay, I, I get it. But my point is here, that the All-Star game is a microcosm for everything else in baseball. And the problems in the All-Star game, I think, are, are symbols of issues that the league has as a whole. All these player interviews in the dugout on the field. And I like hearing from players. But they go for minutes on and on and on and on and on. And what ends up happening is you miss out on the action and you ignore the players that are actually playing. The pitcher who's actually pitching and the hitter that's actually hitting. Everyone has a theory on why interest in baseball is feigning. Stephen A. Smith shared his the other day, and it was stupid. <laughs> and ethnocentric, it's just stupid. We don't need to get into the race part of it. It was just a dumb theory, right? And mostly all of these theories are crap. Anytime you hear someone go, oh, I know what's wrong with baseball, it's, it's probably crap. But I think an actual problem that persists in baseball, and it, it manifests in many different ways. It's, it's not like, oh, we need to cut down on mound visits. No, this is a bigger picture problem. I think the big problem that baseball has, and it's evident after last night, it's that the biggest voices in baseball don't give their fans enough credit. It's that the commissioner and the people in the front office of Major League Baseball, wherever it is, 201 Park Avenue or whatever, I think that's the NFL. You get my point. The people who are in charge don't give their fans enough credit. The broadcasters in the booth and the people at these networks that put together productions don't give fans enough credit. Let's start with the decision makers. Rob Manfred, he's like, I know how we can... Improve the sport. Uh, three batter minimum. Three ba- Every reliever's got to face three batters or finish an inning. We got to limit mound visits. Got to end mound visits because the game's too slow. Pace of play. We need to speed it up. Well, actually, the majority of baseball fans are, are pretty patient. We like the sport because there's a certain boringness to it. It's a good type of boring. It's a type of boring that allows me to get up and get some food in the middle of an inning because I'll miss two pitches. It's the type of boring... That Like, I can listen on the radio while I'm mowing the lawn, and I'm not really going to miss out on much because it's a good kind of boring. It's slow-paced. Baseball fans are patient. Yeah, 
Sometimes the game goes five hours, and that sucks. But you know what? Then turn it off, and there's another game on the next day, okay? And, and that's what the front office of baseball can't get their head. Well, we got to speed the game up. Fans are No, actually, fans like baseball. We like how the sport is. You want to talk about broadcasters and Fox last night with the player interviews. Well, yeah, it's cool to hear from Chris Bryan and, oh, look, they're talking to him while he's on the field. But guess what? There's a game going on. Why don't we talk about the players that are actually playing? I know that this is a little biased coming from a Brewer fan, but Freddie Peralta came in the game last night and melted three straight all-star hitters. One, two, three. And yet we got to ask Chris Bryant, oh, the Cubs had a losing streak. What do you think about that? Why don't we talk about Peralta? Why don't we talk about the guys that Peralta's you know, pitching to? And when Chris Bryant comes up to the plate, then let's give him his due. And you know what? If we want to do a quick little interview in between innings or, or, or you know, for 60 seconds, cool. But we're missing the bigger picture here. Baseball fans are sports fans. We want interesting, critical analysis. And the people who are in charge of the sport and are in charge of these broadcasts are feeding us fluff. And they're going, hey, here's a shiny object. Look over here. You know what blew me away last night during the game? And once again, I had the broadcast on mute. So I was, I was going off this visually. So I don't know exactly what they talked about. But when I watch talk shows or listen to sports radio or, or, or watch baseball games, although I didn't listen last night, nobody talks about this. Some of these stats, even for the All-Stars last night, I couldn't believe it. I'm looking at the stats that are flashing on the screen. Joey Gallo, who plays for the Rangers, Rangers excuse me, he has 24 home runs, which is fifth in the league, and only 52 RBIs, which is 31st in the league. He's also hitting under 240. He has 66 hits. 24 of them are home runs. How does that happen? How do you have 24 home runs? You only have 52 RBIs. Why don't we talk about that? That's interesting. That is a, a shift in the way the game is being played. And everybody oversimplifies. Oh, it's all strikeouts and home runs. Well, there's more to it than that. Why can't we dig into the story? Why can't we discuss this? Mike Zunino, who's the catcher for Tampa Bay, I think he hit a jack last night. He's batting 198. He's got 19 homers and only 37 RBIs. How? He's got 37 hits this year. 20 of them are homers. That's that's mind-boggling. That's crazy. I When the Brewers were playing the Reds this last weekend, I was looking at stats throughout the game, and Eugenio Suarez has 18 home runs. Only 50 RBIs. He's hitting 175. What? I want to hear Joe Buck and John Smoltz talk about that. And if we're interviewing players, why don't we ask them about the modernization of the game, the way that their approach changes, the challenges that are presented by these pitchers that give us these gaudy stat lines that make no sense. 24 home runs up near the top of the league, and yet you have 50 RBIs. They can't all be solo shots. So where's the rest of the production? Where's the beef? That's what I want to talk about. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. Baseball is electric. It's entertaining to watch. Not always, but no no league has every game that's perfect. That's not how it works. I want to hear about that. Talk about Freddie Peralta. Talk about Vlad Jr. Because I don't think most folks understand. I, I've gone most of the season watching a good amount of baseball, and I didn't realize. Vlad Jr.'s first in average, second in homers, first in RBIs. And I'm like, Wow. We talk about Shohei because he's a two-way star. We don't really talk about Vlad on these talk shows and on sports radio and TV. To sum this all up, and this became clear through the All-Star game, and it's a bigger overreaching issue that this league has, among other things, but I think it can be summed up simply like this. The biggest voices in baseball don't give baseball fans enough credit. We crave interesting, detailed, critical conversation about the sport that we watch, and instead, we're fed a bunch of fluff and we're expected to chase the shiny object. Ooh, look, they're talking to Freddie Freeman during the inning. Like, that's cool. But baseball's a great sport. 
why don't we get into that? Why don't we break it down instead of, oh, look, he's got a little microphone out in center field. That's pretty cool. Baseball fans are smart. We want to know more about the game. We want to learn more. We want to, we want to be surrounded by it. Stop feeding us fluff. NFL, NBA, that's not, that's not how it works. Baseball, that's how it works. I don't get it. You got to start giving baseball fans more credit. And I think the product and the way that the product is presented, I think it'll get better. There you go. There's our baseball conversation. We'll get back into that a little bit at 5 o'clock when we reset the show. Coming up next, I think the first four minutes of tonight's game are crucial. I think they're huge. That's not to say that one of these two teams can win or lose the game in the first four minutes. That would just be silly. But I think the first four minutes is a huge opportunity for both teams, and I'll explain why. Coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Okay, Schmidt on the north side. Your text says Chris Middleton is good, and that will show tonight. If anyone disagrees, meet me on the north side to discuss. Yeah, I'm uh, I'll have to pass on that. I think I don't know if I'm coming up there. Make it to the north side tonight. Maybe if the Bucks win, jump in the river, something celebratory like that, up near Moxies or around your way, Schmidt. Thank you. It's always for reaching out. You can text the same as Schmidt did. You can tweet me at Wisco Grant. Anchorage man on Twitter, better known as uh, Seth Partnow, NBA analyst for The Athletic, will join us in about 13 minutes. I think I tweeted that we're going to get into the, the dirty details of the Bucks and preview game four. I don't know. What exactly does that even mean? I don't know. I guess it's a it's a catchy tweet. It makes you think, oh, boy. Uh, but I want to talk about DeAndre Ayton as a topic that we have really talked about as an indicator for how this series is going to go and how these games are going to go. Talk about some potential tiny little tweaks that Coach Bud could make. I'm done saying adjustments because I don't think there are adjustments to be made. I think there are tiny, tiny little tweaks. I think tweak is a better word. We're three games in. The Bucks have made tons of adjustments. Ton. I don't think there are adjustments left to be made. Just little tweaks here and there. Talk about Giannis, uh, of course, and get his thoughts on as many things as possible for when we have him. He will join us coming up at 435. I want to talk about tonight's game. This is, this is what I'm thinking about. If you say, hey, game four, Grant, what do you think? This is the first thing that comes to my mind. I think about the first couple of minutes. You ever seen the show, the first 48 on A&E? Show's wild. It's unbelievable. It's electric. It's, I mean, it's garbage television. But then again, most television is garbage. So watch what you like. Don't let anybody tell you different. The first 48 is electric. And I copied and pasted, for those of you who've never seen it, the description from IMDb. And I will read it in like my TV voice. <clears throat> Detectives in major cities in the United States race against the clock in wakes of homicides, knowing that if they don't find a lead within the first 48 hours, their chances of solving a case are cut in half. This program shows us how detectives use forensic evidence and witness interviews to help identify suspects. It's a great show. And there's a sense of urgency because if you don't get a lead in the first 48 minutes, uh, or the first 48 hours, first, 40, first 48 minutes, that'd be... Imagine if that was the deadline. Oh, boy. <laughs> Less than an hour. If you don't find the person, you're, uh, you're SOL. No, if they don't find somebody in the first 48 hours, the odds drop significantly that they're going to be able to figure things out. It's the first 48 hours. Very, very important. Now, basketball game conveniently is 48 minutes, 12-minute quarters. 
I think tonight, the first four minutes is super crucial. And you know what? I said four minutes. It could be five or six minutes. The first little bit of the game is crucial for both teams. And I know this kind of goes what you know against everything I've said for the last few weeks. It's driven me nuts, especially in the Hawks series. Because the Bucks would come out and they'd fall behind like eight to two. And they're up in the series and they're playing on the road and everybody's losing their mind. Just like everybody loses their mind when the Packers start a game and they fall behind seven nothing. Nothing ever changes with this team. Can't stop the run. You remember week one against the Vikings when Dalvin Cook, they ran down and they scored at home. U.S. Bank. Packers fans are like, I can't believe we still have Mike Pettin. Guy's garbage. I can't. Nothing's changed. He didn't fix anything. And, I mean, the run defense didn't improve substantially from last year to this year. And I guess Mike Pettin did turn out to be not a great defensive coordinator. But in that moment, the overreaction was, oh, it was intolerable. And I think that's been the case with the Bucks. The first couple of minutes, we freak out knowing darn well that two hours later, nothing that we thought or said during that initial overreaction will be viable. It won't matter because we will have watched more, more things will have happened, and, and nothing that happens in the first four minutes of the game really matters. I think tonight it's, it's important. I think the first couple of minutes of this game are huge because the Suns are coming. They want it. Here's how these series work, okay? The home team is supposed to win game one. The home team is supposed to win game three. The games that are more up for grabs typically are two and four. Because if the home team wins game one, okay, well, they can breathe a little bit. They're up in the series. And then game two, a little bit more up for grabs. Game three, it's the homecoming for the home team, as the Bucs did. They got the crowd. They win that game. They're supposed to win that game. And then game four, after the, the team has won at home, they go, okay, we can relax a little bit. Now game four is up for grabs. Games two and games four, up for grabs. Tonight is one of those games, and the Suns know it. And they're coming. They want it. Chris Paul talked about this in his presser yesterday, previewing game four. And the reporter asks, what's Devin Booker like after a bad game? And Chris Paul, I think, answered well. It's like, well, it's not just Booker. It's about all of us handle a bad game. Here's the question and answer. What's Book like after a bad night? Does it phase him? And and, and what do you think we're going to see tomorrow night from him? I think it's more like, what's our team like? You know, this... Same golf. It's not. It's not tennis. <laughs> you know what I mean. We we all in this together. So uh, everybody on our team took 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 the loss hard as we should. You know, we never go into a game expecting to lose. You know, if you show me somebody who expects to lose, I show you a loser. And so everybody on our team felt a way. Uh, we felt like we could be better, and that's why we'll use we use yesterday. We'll use today to prepare, and. We'll all come out ready to play tomorrow. We'll come out ready to play tomorrow. I would love that answer if it wasn't for the cliche of you show me a team that prepares to lose, I'll show you a loser. Okay, well, Cam Newton said that, and we all wanted to kill him. So, hmm, Chris Paul a little bit better respected in the sports media landscape. Suns are coming. They want it, and they know that it's going to take everything they have. They're down 2-1. The Bucks are. So the Suns... They steal this game. They essentially end the series. They go up 3-1. They know they're dealing with MVP Giannis. They know they're playing on the road in front of a hostile crowd. They know that the Bucs have the momentum. Everything's trending the way of the Bucs. That doesn't mean that the Bucs are favored to win the finals, but the game within the game, the series within the series from game three to four, it's shifting to the Bucs. If you listen to podcasts, if you read, if you watch TV, you listen to the radio, people are talking about how great Giannis is and how the Bucs have made these great changes, and now they, they have some answers for the Suns. Suns are still up to one, but the Bucs are winning the game within the game within the game, the series within the series. The Suns are up against it tonight, and they know that they're going to need to bring extra energy, extra juice if they're going to steal this game. They know what it's going to take. And if the Bucs jump out and they take a lead 15-4, to 
20 to 5, 24 to 7. And you immediately put the Suns in the hole. You get them questioned a little bit. It's like, okay, do we really want to do we really want to kill ourselves for this game? Because we already have to do so much work just to come out of here with a win. Now we're down by 15 points. We need to do all this extra work. I think the Bucks, if they get off to a blazing start, could really shake this game up. Now, I'm not saying they would run away and win it. I'm not saying the Bucks can win the, the game in the first four minutes. But you put a big amount of pressure on the Suns, and you heap more onto their plate, right? The, the Suns are already dealing with all these disadvantages tonight. They don't have the momentum. They're on the road. Giannis is playing like an MVP, right? They know what it's going to take. They already, they already have so much on their plate. And if the Bucks jump up by 15, 20 points early, that doesn't mean they're going to win the game, but you, you heap another scoop of whatever it is right onto the Suns' plate. Oh, now we got to deal with this. Now we're down 15. Now we're down 20. Now, I don't think this game is going to be a blowout but you make it substantially harder. You make it a lot more work for the Suns if you jump out to a lead early. And I know that's always the case. You always want to get out to an early lead. You apply pressure to the other team. But I think in this game, in, in the context of this game, in the context of the series and how's, it, how's it's gone, I think the first couple of minutes, like the first 48 hours, to bring it back to the beginning of our conversation, great show on A&E, I think the first couple of minutes are crucial because you could really put the screws to Phoenix a little bit extra. The Bucks have that opportunity. Hopefully they do so tonight. Let's take a break. I want to get Seth Partnow on the horn. Covers the NBA for The Athletic. He's in Milwaukee. Used to work for the Bucks. He's got a book coming out this fall, too. And I, I don't read many books, I will admit. But his is one that I will read. We'll talk Bucks. Talk some of these dirty details about Game 4 with him. Coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show, my name Grant Bills, Twitter, Wisco Grant, the talk and text line, 608-796-2558. The Bucks are playing a game four of the NBA Finals today. How do we only have two texts? One is Schmidt on the north side, threatening anyone who talks smack about Chris Middleton. And the other one is Todd in Eau Claire, who's correcting me. I guess it's RBI, not RBIs. Todd, I I apologize. Thank you. Thank you for the text, 608-796-2558. Going to talk Aaron Rodgers in an hour. A little bit more on baseball in the All-Star break at 5 o'clock. Other than that, all Bucks. Like right now, Seth Partnow of The Athletic used to work for the Bucks. Now he is a tremendous writer and analyst, not just for the Bucks, but everything basketball. Really good with numbers, the important dirty details. He joins us now on the Talk and Text line. Seth, first of all, glad to have you. Anytime I get a good basketball mind, I'm thrilled to have them on the show. I feel like as I've read and researched and prepped for not just this whole series, but Game 4 especially, I keep seeing names like Dario Saric, who is now out with injury, and Jeff Teague and Frank Kaminsky and DeAndre Ayton. I never would have guessed last year or even a few months ago that DeAndre Ayton would be the most maybe impactful player in an NBA Finals. Not to say the best player, but maybe the most indicative player. Why is it seemingly in this season that all these lesser heralded players are so important to the outcome of the series? Because I, I don't remember it ever being like this, and maybe I'm remembering incorrectly, but this seems like a weird year and a weird finals to me. I, I think that you might be uh, misremembering a little bit. Every year it does seem like, okay, these two guys kind of balance out on this team and that team, and then this extra guy that we really didn't know how well he was going to do, he comes up and then that just gives the one team just enough edges that need it or the absence of this player is, is something that they, they just couldn't overcome. And that was, you know, between relatively even teams, those are the small margins that can determine 
you know, victory and, and defeat. I guess it's easier when it's my team playing another team. It's like, well, okay, I can I can wrap my mind around Jeff Teague and DeAndre Ayton because it's my team. I'm involved in this series. I guess, like, when the Warriors are making the finals, it's easier for, like, Kevon Looney minutes to go over my head when I'm not tasking myself with really digging in because it's not my team. So I can watch it from, you know, more of a 10,000-foot view. In your piece, you wrote a back and forth with John Hollinger, or was it yesterday, talking about how the Suns' best chance with DeAndre Ayton to defend Giannis you're not going to take him away, but to try to match Giannis's minutes with DeAndre Ayton minutes as much as possible. Do you think we're going to see that tonight? I would imagine. And also a little bit of a theory. I want your thoughts. Giannis subbed himself out early in the first quarter of game three. He said he was a little tired, wanted his legs. You don't suppose that that was maybe a uh, a ploy by Bud and Giannis to just throw off the substitution patterns and, and try to mismatch Giannis with DeAndre Ayton. Am I looking too much into that? Reaching? I think you. I, I think I think the, the latter. You might be reaching. I think. Um, I think the Suns would would love to to match Aiton with uh, Giannis as much as possible. They just want Aiton as on the floor as much as possible. Um, his foul trouble in Game Three was a pretty big swing point in that game. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, the really interesting thing to see will be if he gets in a little bit of foul trouble again tonight. Whether Monty Williams is a little more aggressive. Uh, in terms of bringing him back early, and and then when he brings it back, having him guard Giannis, I think that's that's sort of a, a consensus in the analytics community that coaches tend to be way too conservative in those spots, and it, you know there's a lot of factors that go into it, but I think that you know if you ask him, did he did I wish I brought back DeAndre a little bit earlier in Game Three, he'd probably say yes today, and that. It works out that way more often than saving him makes sense. I don't remember who I, I heard say this in the last couple of weeks. Um, I think it was regarding Trey Young playing or not. Like, should they have brought Trey Young back or not, even though he wasn't quite correct? And I think sometimes for coaches and for fans, we watch this from a distance. We think, okay, which decision will I regret least of all? I would rather bring DeAndre Ayton back in and have him foul out than, you know, never knowing. He let him sit that basically that whole third quarter, and then when he came back in in the fourth, right when the game was kind of still in hand, they had a chance, he looked cold. Like, I think he bumbled the ball around once, and, like, he didn't look completely with it. I think Monty Williams going back would, would change some things. Do you think that attacking a player to try to get him into foul trouble, is that a sustainable way to win a series and attack a team? Is that a viable game plan? Like, in college, I think of Ethan Happ, who's with the Badgers. You only get five fouls. He's your center player. If you get him in foul trouble, you can win a game. In the NBA with six fouls, is it a sustainable way to go about trying to win a series? Just we got to get eight in foul trouble. I feel like that's just something that's up to chance. Um, trying to get a guy in foul trouble, maybe not. I think that that's sort of a byproduct of going at someone you want to anyway. Okay. Um, you know, a, be- a better example might be okay. We want to make Devin Booker guard. Um, if Devin Booker happens to pick up fouls while we're putting him in, ac- in actions. That's a nice side benefit, but the real thing we're doing is making him use energy on defense. Okay. Um, and, you know, if, if Aiton is guarding Giannis, um, yes, putting fouls on Aiton would be nice, but having Giannis get shots at the rim, which is presumably what you're trying to do in that matchup, that's the real thing you're trying to do. Uh, and the fouls are just kind of a benefit, of uh, a possible benefit of that. Okay, so the fouls are a byproduct of, of something good happening anyways. Okay, I see that. We're yeah, talking with, I think so. yeah, Seth Partnow of The Athletic, Anchorage Man on Twitter as well. I, I followed Anchorage Man for a while before I actually realized it was Seth. I felt like an idiot at the time. I was like, oh, they're the same people. Oh, no. But, yeah, I knew him first on Twitter is, is Anchorage Man. His handle is, of course, Seth Partnow. Find his work 
at The Athletic. You had a piece last week talking about adjustments, and I thought it was awesome because you stated that adjustments for the sake of adjustments sometimes can do more harm than good, and I agree. I really like that. I remember in game one or two, Mark Jackson was like, I, the Suns need to keep doing this until the Bucks make an adjustment, and I'm sitting there. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what adjustment is to be made. They've tried different things. The Suns just are, are scoring by way of incredible shot making here. I don't think Coach Bud needs to make any sea changes. I don't know what sea changes there to be made. I am intrigued by maybe, maybe a little bit more Pat, a little bit less P.J., Think of the trio of Pat Connaughton, P.J. Tucker, Bryn Forbes. How should Bud manage those three, not only tonight, but in the series moving forward, however long it, it may go? Um, I think to the extent that, they, that the Bucks can play seven guys in, or even six guys, depending on how much, how much, many minutes you, you think you can get away with Bobby Portis, mm-hmm. I think that to the extent you can play um, – I don't know if there's a spot for, for Ben Forbes in, in this series necessarily. Um, partially that's a result of him. You know, he's, he's got some defensive limitations. I think Devin Booker went at him with uh, pretty good success in game one. Oh, yeah. um, but also a little bit the way the Bucks' offense is functioning, it's just not going to be generating the looks that, that Bryn Forbes needs to, to, you know, bring his great shooting into, into play enough. So I don't think you're getting enough out of that to to really want to, to go there. So the real the, the, the big key question there is is PJ Tucker getting enough shots from the corner and is his offensive rebounding doing enough on offense okay. uh, uh, to to like let him stay on the floor when Brooke Lopez is there. And there have been times in the series where Chris Paul has guarded Tucker, uh, you know, a big chunk of the time. Well, sorry, Chris Paul's been matched up with Tucker a big portion of the time and has not <laughs> has very much not guarded him and has kind of sat in the paint and looked for steals and sort of tried to muck up the, the, the Bucks' offense. And if that's something they can continue to do and, and kind of make the Bucks' offense very stagnant because of that, then you do have to kind of look at, you know, Pat's a little more mobile. He's a more versatile shooter. Uh, uh, Tucker basically – has range to the corners and that's it. Whereas Connerton can, you know, shoot above the break, can shoot a little bit behind the line, can shoot on the move a little bit. That's a different, uh, you know, uh, offensive style to really counter counteract. And you can't just sit on the weak side and stand because he might be in movement, he might be in in, in the action and stuff like that. So I think just feeling out how much, if if you know, how much. Suns defense is helped by being able to not guard Tucker. Okay. If that's becoming a problem, that's when you, you kind of want to go a different way. Yeah, that's fine. Um, and alternatively, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say that the distinction between guarding PJ Tucker and being matched up on him. I, yeah, I found that funny. No, keep going. This is good. No. And, and, and I know the, the other, the other thing is um, uh, sort of a side, be- side benefit of if they do put fouls on DeAndre Ayton, um, They've had, Bucks have had a really tar- hard time stopping the pick and roll with Aiton when Brooke Lopez hasn't been on the floor, mm-hmm. um, and so that when Aiton is off the floor, maybe you can play PJ at center more, and not have and and not have to worry about you know the kind of the spacing problems of, of both PJ and Brooke on the floor together. So it, it all all of these adjustments you know they quickly become a, a ball that's intertwined with one thing being connected to the next thing and and just keeping track of all those strands at once is a little bit why like, you know, making adjustments in, in game is, is so complicated because it's not just one thing you're thinking of. 
it's one thing and then the reaction and the reaction to the reaction. And it can be, it can get, you know, especially in the moment when you have 10 seconds to make a decision, that can get overwhelming pretty quickly. Yeah, there can be a butterfly effect if you change one little thing on yeah. offense and defense and, and not just on one or two players, but the entire team in the game. I think a lot of Bucks fans maybe think after game three, it's like, okay, well, now they're having some success against the pick and roll. And, and they've been okay, mostly because Drew Holiday has stepped in and, and carried a little bit more of a load. But the offense is what did it. They were 127 points per 100 possessions before garbage time started, which was way better than the first two games. It was their offense in game three that really lifted them. Now, they have made some tweaks defensively, like Drew Holiday's putting extra pressure on, on Chris Paul, and, and the points off turnovers has kind of swung the way of the Bucks. Life has been made a little bit more difficult on Chris Paul. I'm wondering if that's something that the Suns try to do tonight because the Bucks don't have a huge selection of great ball handlers, right? Drew Holiday's their point guard. He's not even a true point guard. He can run the point. He does a lot of great things, but he's not a true point guard. How can the Bucks kind of mitigate that disadvantage? They don't have great ball handlers. Maybe Phoenix tries to apply pressure to them as, as the, the Bucks have done to Phoenix. How can they maybe prepare for that tonight and, and make up for their lack of ball handling? I mean, the, the first thing with that is it, is it starts with, uh, with, with the defense. Um, it's a lot harder to put pressure, you know, three-quarter court, full court, half-court pressure uh, off a live ball than it is if, if, you know, you're picking the ball out of the basket. Yes. So, it, again, it, it, it starts a little bit earlier. If the Bucks get stops, then they can, you know, avoid being in those situations to begin with. Um, beyond that, I mean, the, there's the, you're, you're left with some, you know, pretty dicey options. I mean, that's where, you know, the temptation to play Jeff Teague comes from. And, and <laughs> you know, frankly, I haven't, I haven't been a huge fan of Jeff Teague minutes throughout this postseason. I think in the last two games, he's been largely fine. And I kind of understand why he's kind of cut into and, and basically usurped Forbes' spot in the rotation. And it's a little bit because of that, just like one more kind of capable set of hands. You know, the the extra ball handler that they would have if Dante DiVincenzo wasn't injured. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, okay, there's a lot of things that Dante does that Jeff Teague can't, but ball handling is one of those things that he can provide in, in, in kind of that sort of situation. If Jeff Teague just understood his role slightly better, he would go from fine to just, like, pretty okay. But he, he'll make a great play, and you're like, yes, they're, they're surviving the Jeff Teague minutes, and then he'll come back on the next possession and, and throw it away or, or take a bad shot. Or, so if he could just embrace his role or understand his role, I think that would make a big difference. And I, I get the temptation to, to want the extra ball handler as well. He's not their best player, maybe, not the best option, but he is a ball handler, and, and that is important. Final question for you, because I've, I've kept you for a couple minutes, Seth. I want to know how you feel about Giannis's feel, because I, I think – the basketball community, analysts, writers, everybody, they, they recognize something in that Brooklyn series. It's like, hey, a light came on. He just kind of felt the game better. He avoided bad shots. He was aggressive when need be, right? Eric Name asked him after game three, getting the ball in traffic, finishing around the rim. It seems as though Giannis has navigated that, that traffic better and, and be aggressive, yes, but also look for other guys. He just seems more in command and able to feel the game. Is that something you've noticed? And, and how do you think that's manifested itself, at least since the Brooklyn series, but of course, through the first three games of the finals as well. So I think the, the Brooklyn series was, was interesting because it, it, it kind of came and went mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, in this series, I feel like you never want to say an injury helps, but I think that because he doesn't quite have the same explosiveness, especially off kind of his Euro step, he's actually playing almost a more contained game. And, and, uh, especially, again, especially when Aiden's not on the floor, 
he can take all the time he wants because there's nothing that, you know, any one Phoenix defender can do to him. So he can, he can take all the time he wants, gets to the spot he needs to. And if they're bringing a second or third guy to him, he can see that pass and, and, and move the ball. So just um, almost by necessity, like, you know, the, 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 the cliche is, well, the game slows down for him. Well, in this case, he's slowed down a little bit because there's no one on Phoenix that can speed him up. And he's maybe just that little bit physically limited that's forcing him to slow down. And I think that's actually helped him by, you know, simplifying. Maybe he can't do physically everything that he is normally able to, but having kind of those options off the menu makes it an easier choice. Mm. So his role is simplified, and that's impacted his game, I think, positively. I mean, we could talk about him being a screener, which I think has helped him massively as well. I'm probably going to talk about that next. Seth, I'm going to let you go. This has been great. We've learned a bunch. I love your work. And anytime you want to come back on and talk Bucks, I would absolutely love to have you. Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, enjoy the game tonight. Go Bucks. <laughs> thanks. I put him. I put him in a tough spot there. <laughs> I don't know what he was supposed to say. Bucks at six. Let's go, Bucks. Yeah. Sorry, Seth. Thank you. You can find his work on Twitter. Uh his Twitter name is Anchorage Man, but his handle is at Seth Part now. Work at the Athletic. Thank you, Seth. Let's talk about that. The options, the menu has gotten smaller for Giannis, but that's had a more positive effect. I agree, and that's something I want to dig into coming up next. More of the Wisco Sports Show after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. Big thanks to Seth Partnow from The Athletic. Oh, that's good stuff. That's just, that's that's wholesome. That'll put meat on your bones. Oh, that's good, wholesome, robust, educational NBA content. Thank you, Seth. I doubt he's, <laughs> yeah, he's listening to the rest of the show. Yeah, that's it. Follow him on Twitter, at Seth Partnow. Read his work. Would highly recommend it. He ended that interview by saying something that I want to talk about for just a few minutes. We're going to get back into baseball at 5 o'clock. So if you're sick of the NBA, it's like, oh, God, I can't wait for the season to be over so we can talk about other things. Hey, let's talk a little baseball in a few minutes. We'll talk Aaron Rodgers at 5.30. But for right now, I, I want to piggyback. I want to a diving board. I want a cannonball off of something that Seth said. The way that the game has gotten simpler for Giannis, because the opposing team is making things easier for him. Not that they're opening him a lane to the basket or letting him score. Not, not making it easier in that way. But they're simplifying the game. Giannis has fewer options. And I, I was thinking about this earlier today. We've talked a lot about how Giannis has been used more frequently as a screen setter versus as a as you know somebody setting the screen for him. So he is the screener, not the screenee. In the regular season, Giannis set 19 screens per 100 possessions. This postseason, it's 30, and it keeps going up with every game. In fact, nine of his 10 most frequent screen-setting games have come within the last two series, three series, I believe, since Brooklyn. He's setting screens, setting screens, setting screens. And I think that this has made the game easier for Giannis. Because when when you're watching the Bucs, when do you cringe most? What, what does Giannis do that makes you cringe the most? For me, it's when he's at the top of the key, dribble, dribble, doesn't really know what he's going to do. He, he has time to ruminate, marinate. He has time to ponder and question. Giannis is the most physically dominant player in the league. He's Shaq. He's Shaq, right? He's not the most skilled. He's not the most talented. He's the biggest and strongest, and he's got a good amount of skill 
to drop 40 in a finals game, which has not been done very many times. At least not two games in a row. Not twice in three games. So Giannis has all the tools. He needs to be given the proper channel to use those tools. And I think as a screener, it, it puts him in part of an action. It puts him on a mission. It says, hey, Giannis, go do this. Giannis, you're going to do this. You're going to play this role. And when Giannis doesn't have time to question, when he doesn't have time to think or ponder or consider anything, and he understands his action and you put him on the right path, he's dominant. No one can stop him. And I think using him as a screener, you can't use him as a screener every possession in the high screen role. You're right. You need to mix up looks. But I think using him as a screener more frequently kind of allows him to channel his skills and, and take some of the, the stop and go out of it, take some of the questioning out of it. I mean, they when Coach Bud talks about being random, he means it. They were using Chris Middleton as a screen setter and as a ball handler in the high pick roll the other night. And the Suns are like, oh, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Ah. When you give them different looks every once in a while and you play with a certain randomness, it forces the defense to react, forces them to make mistakes and question and ponder. And I think that goes both ways. When Giannis is at the top of the key and he's trying to figure out what the heck he's supposed to do, right, that, that, that knocks him down a peg. When he has a path and he has a play to run and he knows exactly what he's supposed to be doing, a la the screener and then a la the roller towards the rim, I mean, he, he can use those gifts completely unhampered. And the frequency with which he's been setting screens compared to previous seasons and even this regular season, I think it's been a big reason why he's been more successful. They're using him as Shaq and not as much as LeBron. And he'll run those LeBron-type things. That slow back down in the post, that's a LeBron thing. And, and it's almost a tree from which branches can grow. If you get that slow back down in the post, well, then you can shoot a jumper from it. You can go baseline, spin, a la what we saw with Ethan Happ. Right? There's, you can do a jump hook. You can do a fadeaway jumper. There's lots of actions you can run off of that back down move, that LeBron-type move. But I like more Shaq, less LeBron. I think that's been good for Giannis, and I think that's really, really paid dividends big time. And that's why he's dropping 40, and hopefully that continues tonight. For those of you that are sick of the basketball talk, good luck. Uh, or not good luck, but good news. Baseball talk coming up next. Let's go sports show. The second quarter was two-pronged. It had an effect both for the Bucks and for the Sun, quoting Jerry Seinfeld. You believe this will have a two-pronged effect. We're talking about the roommate switch, right? Great episode. I got it! This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. You know, about an hour ago, we were talking about Major League All-Star Game last night, which I watched. I didn't think I was going to pull it off, but I, I actually did. I brought myself to watch most of it. I think I missed probably an inning. And I mentioned that Fox made the programming decision to interview Shohei Otani through his interpreter during an inning, during the national broadcast. And when I saw that, I'm like, oh, of course they should interview Shohei. But this has a two-pronged effect. Number one, you're getting airtime and you're getting FaceTime with the most exciting thing in baseball right now, but you're also kind of sticking a middle finger to Disney and to Stephen A. Smith and to ESPN. Say, hey, is this so bad? Is this okay, Stephen A.? He's not, we're speaking through an interpreter. Is this ruining our broadcast? <laughs> so I brought that up an hour ago, and I'm scrolling through Twitter over this last break, and I see this clip from the Dan Patrick Show. This is the description. Joe Madden, who's the guest, describes how Shohei Otani is acclimating to speaking a new language and what he's like in the clubhouse. 
I swear. Let's see if Levitar does something like this. Metal Arc Media. Let's see. Because I feel like everybody's using the Otani conversation to kind of point out, like, hey, our competitors over there at ESPN who preach tolerance and inclusivity and they're the woke network. Or at least that's what Clay Travis would say. See? What a bunch of bums. <laughs> I think it's I think it's so funny. It's petty and it's hilarious. And I'm here for it. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name Grant Bills. Little bit of everything in the next 57 minutes. We're gonna talk Aaron Rodgers coming up at 535. Because Adam Schefter, our boy, who I defended on this show, like pretty strongly, when the Aaron Rodgers news broke, we had a classic case of shooting the messenger. All Packers fans were like, ah, he's doing it, ah, he's doing it for clicks. Ah. I'm like, I don't I don't think he is. Seems pretty seems pretty serious, guys. It seems like he might be mad. But then Schefter later comes out and he's like, well, I didn't have a source. I didn't, I didn't have a scoop. I just, it was an accumulation of information, really. And I just thought that draft day was the day that it needed to come out. And then we had the whole journalistic integrity conversation and Zach Heilprin came on and he pushed back and he's like, well, you're kind of anti-journalist. And he called me out on all this crap. And I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. What a good, what a good learning experience. With this Wisconsin Sports Zone yeah. Network update, I'm Zach Heilprin. Yes, Zach, an excellent contributor. And he was excellent in that conversation. So slowly but surely, I'm kind of I'm kind of getting sick of Shefty. And he went on the Chris Collinsworth podcast two days ago yesterday. I don't know. I saw the clip yesterday. And I'm like, really? Come on. So I want to talk about that. Because I, I think it's a funny thing to talk about and to listen to. And we'll hear clips from that podcast. But also, I think it leads us in some interesting directions if we want to do the Aaron Rodgers discussion. And it's the All-Star break. I know the Bucks are playing tonight. But we do need to work in other topics. I could probably do Bucks for two hours every day. But that'd get a little boring, don't you think? 608-796-2558, the talk and text line, Twitter, at Wisco Grant. I lectured Schmidt on the north side a little bit at the beginning of the show. I said, Schmidt, you can't, you can't text in at the same time every single day. You need to be more random. Coach Bud says this all the time. Be more random. It was an old uh, George Carl quote as well. Be unexpected. So if you normally call at 510 or you normally text to fourth, let's, let's mix it up. I want some, some variance. I want a little bit of a... A little bit of a surprise. I'm talking to you, Brett and Lacrosse, who I would imagine the phone should ring if you're listening today. Maybe you got something going on, but like every day, 507. Let's mix it up a little bit. Shake it up. Get out of this rut we've been in. Robin Stoddard texts in and says, please, baby. Whoa. Please, baby Jesus, don't let Aaron Rodgers show up to training camp. I've suffered too damn long because of him. Also, let game for the finals be a close game. That's fun to watch. Uh, your favorite Bears fan. Yes, Robin Stoddard. You are our favorite Bears fan, and I believe you're our resident Knicks fan. As well. I think this game should be close. I don't I don't see a blowout either way. We can talk about that in about 20 minutes. Talk about some of these possible outcomes. Let's go to the phone. 608-796-2558. Is this Dave? And Dave, is this you? No, it's Jeff oh. from Herders. Oh, Jeff, how are you doing? Your, your caller ID looks similar to Dave. We haven't heard from him in a while. I'm actually curious. But, Jeff, I'm thrilled to talk to you. What's going on? Well, first of all, you better... You better amend the favorite Bears fan to me, but um, I wasn't calling to talk about them, to be honest with you. I have just a simple thought with the, with the uh, Bucks tonight. Yeah. Work the ball inside, and please, Giannis, quit jacking up three-pointers, <laughs> and it should be two to two. You got to use your size, right? The Bucks are the bigger team. Like, we forget that this is, it's not a contact sport, but, like, tall people help you win. I know the obsession is with small ball over the last couple of years. That's what the Warriors did with their death lineup. Oh, we can go small. Sometimes it just pays to be big. I'm Yes, Jeff, right. I'm feeling with you. Take it to the cup. 
Right, exactly. And and I well, I'm old. I'm not old school the caller, but I am old school with the three pointer. I when you're on when when you need it, you can do it, but it can just you can't get a rebound off a three pointer too easily. And mm-hmm. like you said, use your size. Lopez the same thing. I just I, maybe I'm the only one that's thinking this way. Well, when Giannis airballs a free throw, the the rebounding percentage actually is just barely nicks the front of the rim, and PJ Tucker's waiting down there like a center fielder. I I agree with you. My thing on three-point shooting when you're forcing it, sometimes they're not going in. And what bothers me is when three-point shots don't go in, teams don't have a second pitch to go to. They don't have a, another plan, right? And it's it's a make-or-miss league. There's a certain degree of shot-making required to win these games in the finals. But if they're not going in, you need another option, and the Bucks can bang in the post with the best of them. They have so many big bodies. So I'm with you, Jeff. This is, this is good. Good. Good stuff. Are you still there, Jeff? Oh, Jeff is gone. Oh. Oh. Well, have a good one, Jeff. <laughs> what the heck? This, it happened with uh, with our guest back at 432. Although that was my fault. I ended the interview by saying, go Bucks." I, I, I should have said, thank you or have a good one. Go Bucks." I don't I don't know what he was supposed to do with that. Yeah, go Bucks. <laughs> Whatever. Thanks for the call, Jeff. Sorry, I, I thought you had more to say. I was loving what you were saying. I, I think Jeff reminds us of a very good, solid basketball principle that we sometimes forget. That being bigger and stronger and taller just is sometimes better. And I, this obsession with small ball was started by the Warriors. And we can sometimes, we sometimes fall into this trap of thinking, hey, the best team in the league does this. Therefore, every other team should do it too. Because if you think about that Cavs team that beat the Warriors before they had Kevin Durant. So the league was somewhat still balanced at this time. The Warriors were great in 2016, but they had weaknesses. They didn't have Kevin Durant, right? It was Steph Clay, Draymond, oh, Sean Livingston, Kevon Looney. That was a oh, that team was so much fun to watch. I think they had David West as well. There's guys I'm forgetting, I'm sure. But when the Cavs beat that team, it was through their own admission of saying, you know what, we're not going to outshoot them. What else can we do? Well, let's just smash Tristan Thompson down in the restricted circle for minutes on end and see if they can do anything about it. And they couldn't. Because playing small is fun until you're getting bruised by LeBron and Kevin Love, who once was a great rebounder. You'd like to think the instincts were still there, right? And then Tristan Thompson, who was just smashing it. He was just plowing everybody out of the way. He was tremendous in that series. But then over time, what happened? The Cavs became more of a three-point shooting team than the Warriors did. They started stacking shooters. They got Jake Crowder. They got Kyle Korver. Who else joined that team? Like Rodney Hood, George Hill. Um, uh, uh, I, who is it? Who is it? I'm Rodney Hood, George Hill. They traded for a lot of guys who were like perimeter guys. We want three and D guys to put around LeBron. And there is a certain appeal to three and D guys because they're simple. You know what they do, right? Sometimes it seems like basketball fans, you'd rather have a three and D guy than a guy that could do other things because it's simple, right? We can put that three and D guy into a bucket and we can understand him. But over time, as the, as the Cavaliers with LeBron got farther and farther away from that championship team, they morphed into a three-point shooting team because they were chasing what the Warriors were doing. When in reality, they were never going to do that better than the Warriors, right? And the Suns, I guess I don't know what makes the Suns the Suns. I think versatility and variance makes the Suns the Suns. They don't have a weak link that you can attack, which is a unique trait for a finals team typically. The NBA is it's a strong league sport. It's a strong link sport, meaning the stars at the top of the roster drive wins and losses, not the weak links on the bottom, right? But the, the Suns have also made this weird 
advantage of themselves by just not having a weak link. The Bucks can't say the same. Pat Connaughton is great, but he's the weak link you would attack, or P.J. Tucker or Bryn Forbes or Jeff Teague or whatever. I don't know what makes the Suns great. In fact, I think what makes the Suns great is that they're not great at anything. They're good at everything. But I, I don't think you can you can out you can't out sun the Suns. You can't out hawk the Hawks. You can't out Clipper the Clippers. And there wasn't one dominant team in the NBA that everyone was chasing this year. Maybe it would have been the Nets had they been healthy. But I I think back at that Warriors dynasty where everyone was looking at the Warriors and say, hey, we gotta play small. Hey, we gotta jack up a ton of three pointers, which the Rockets embraced and the Cavs embraced, and the Celtics. I think at some point embraced that too. They had just a lot of good three and D guys that they tried to throw at Giannis. And I mean, even the Raptors, to some extent, too. We need shooting. We need to go small. Small is good. Well, small is good for the Warriors because they possibly have the greatest shooter of all time, maybe the best shooting guard I've ever seen. They have a great distributing small ball five, which not everybody can say, right? Going small is one thing if your center is Draymond Green. It's another if your center is P.J. Tucker, right? That That's different. Every team is different. And I think not just in, in basketball, but that's the sport we're talking about that lesser teams try to emulate the best teams, even if their roster doesn't fit it. And I think in this case, the Bucks. I, I thought on Sunday night maybe that they were going to go into smash mode. Instead of pulling back and seeing less Lopez, we were going to see more Lopez. That the Bucks were going to do what the Cavs did in 2016. It's like, look, I know it's not pretty, and I know it's not what's popular in the league right now, but we're going to go bigger. We're going to play bully ball. We're going to body guys in the paint. We're not going to spread the floor wide. We're not going to line up the floor with a bunch of little shooters. We're going to go big. And at the root of basketball, it helps to have big, tall, strong guys. I know we've gone through some some revolutions in the league. Revolutions, would that be the correct word? To revolt? Nah. Let's say adjustments in the league. We've gone through changes in the league that has made us think about some of these things differently. More shooting, less size. But the Bucks have the size. That's an advantage that they can use. Through Giannis. Through Brooke Lopez. Chris Middleton's 6'8". So many people don't realize that. We think of him as a two. And in my head, he is a two. For years, I'm like, why don't they use Chris Middleton like the Warriors use Klay Thompson? Run sets for him. Get him free out of action so he can catch and shoot the ball. And I still sometimes wish that Chris Middleton would get more shot, you know, opportunities off the catch and shoot. But he's different, right? To make him Klay Thompson would be a waste of some of the advantages Chris Middleton possesses. He's 6'8", and he can back a guy down. He can shoot a fadeaway. He can even get to the rack. He doesn't do it a whole lot, but he can over a smaller defender. Chris Middleton at 6'8", hunting mismatches, part of what makes this team great. Brooke Lopez, remembering that he's a massive human being and that he can throw his body around in the paint. That's really important. And Giannis, of course, just being Giannis, right? We know that he's big and strong. We've seen that for years. That defines this series as well. 608-796-2558. Dave says, unpopular opinion. He only takes one to three three-pointers a game. It won't make or break you, and it keeps the defense honest. Why not go for it? Here, okay, okay, Dave, look, I agree with you that taking two or three three-pointers a game is not the end of the world. Sure, in a perfect world, he wouldn't do it. And in crunch time, like against the Nets, he hasn't done it, to his credit. I agree with you that it's not the end of the world. I disagree with you when you say that it keeps the defense honest. And this is something that Brett LaCrosse brought up a couple of weeks ago. And then David Monona came in like a tag team wrestling match off the top rope to smash Brett in his opinion. Like it was a, it was a contentious day. I remember it very well. It doesn't keep the defense honest because they're going to let him shoot. Like Giannis could come out, make the first two three-pointers of the game, and the defense still isn't going to close out on him. They're still going to prefer him taking that shot to anything else. 
So I think we're past the point now where Giannis is keeping a defense honest. He's shooting threes to shoot threes, which is why I'm not a big fan of it, right? If Giannis is shooting threes, I want it to have an impact. I want it to manipulate the defense. I want it to create for teammates. And if not, let's take a different shot. And the defense just would rather him shoot threes. Even if they're going in, they're still going to let him shoot. So the idea that it keeps the defense honest, eh, eh, I I don't agree with that. I I don't think so. And it's to be honest, it's not even really an opinion. It's just fact. If you watch the game, they're not going to close out on Giannis shooting threes, even if he makes the first one or two, right? Because it's it's a pick your poison type of thing. Even if the threes are going in, it's still a better look for the defense than than Giannis running in the high pick and roll and and going downhill towards the rack. It's still better for him to pull up and shoot threes. Giannis so far in the series, let's look game by game. So I'm I'm looking at game three here. I'm going to pull up game two. It'll take a second to load. Game three, Giannis attempted two three-point shots. One did roll in and out, and if I remember correctly, one was a pretty bad miss. So he was 0 for 2 in the last game. That was part of a 14 of 23 performance otherwise, which is pretty darn efficient. Game three, or game two rather, the Bucks lost by 10. Giannis... One of five. He took five threes. That's just too many. 15 of 22. Still still really efficient. I mean, think about that. He took six three-pointers. He had seven misses the entire game. Six of them were beyond the three-point line. It's not like he's completely submarining teams, but you do, to an extent, give away possessions. And you take away opportunities to pressure the defense and work for a better shot. and To put pressure. We, we talk about getting DeAndre Ayton in foul trouble. That's going to be real tough if Giannis is pulling up from the wing pulling up and taking threes from the top of the key, whether they go in or not. And if Giannis's threes are going in, it doesn't make it a good shot. It means the shot went in, right? I'm more interested in correct processes rather than good results. If the process is good, you hope over a seven-game series that the results show up, right? We shouldn't base our opinions on shots or offense or defense based on the result because good process is much more important than the correct result. We talked about that last week with football, right? When we talked about Kyle Shanahan in the Super Bowl against Tom Brady. And then Russell Wilson and Daryl Bevel's play call in the one-yard line against the Patriots in another Super Bowl. Conveniently, two Super Bowls where Tom Brady was on the right side of variance, but we talk about that every day on this show. Tom Brady's on the right side of variance literally every day of his life. Correct processes, more important than correct results. And I think Giannis's three-point shooting is an example of that. Whether or not the ball goes in, I would still rather take other looks, for sure. Get Chris Middleton going, try to pound the rock and, and get to the rack with Drew Holiday or, or whatever. Let's take a break. I want to talk a little bit more about this game, and then we're getting into the Packers at 535. I'm very excited for this Packers conversation today. That all coming up. The Wisco Sports Show back after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. show my name grant bills i hope you're having a terrific day game four of the finals is tonight i'm a little nervous but i'm excited nervous because the bucks have a great opportunity they're playing at home and i got a new tv today and i can't wait for the first thing i ever watched on my new tv to be a bucks game where they're playing in the nba finals i love it duck and holman texts in kind of unprompted ducks like hey i know we're talking uh bucks and we're gonna get into the packers but just so we're all clear here Duck says, judging by the booze last night, everybody hates Machado. Yeah, I Machado is this weird player who plays with joy, and he seems to be a lovable, fun guy, and yet everybody hates him for for reasons that aren't unfounded, right? Like, he's done some dirty things, but it just, it, like, Joey Votto is the guy that you boo, 
Like, Joey Votto's the dude that looks like he would just throw hands with his wife. He looks like a mean guy. And I've never met him. I'm not saying... I'm saying that's the physical look that he gives off. Machado's always smiling. He looks happy-go-lucky. And yet everybody boos him anyways, which is funny. I love sports. God, I love sports. You just don't get these stories. You don't get these these things anywhere else. Thanks, Jeff. Dave. Uh, Matt Shepard texts in. I love some of these names I have saved first and last. Some's just first. Some are nicknames. What a great mess. What a beautiful mess by Diamond Rio. Matt says, we'll take Aaron Rodgers back anytime he's ready. And I will too. And I think he's going to come back. And you know what, Matt? You killed it because that's right what we're about to talk about. So I appreciate you leading us into our next topic. Matt uh, Matt Shepard, more like Matt Segway. That was bad. That was I, I went for it. I tried it. I don't I don't think it landed. I want to talk about Rogers. We haven't talked about him much just because I don't know what is there to say. He's unhappy. The Packers aren't gonna trade him. I'd rather talk about other things. Mostly I don't care. I'm all in on the Brewers and the Bucks right now. And the Bucks deserve this attention. It frustrates me when Coach Bud has got to do a press conference and the reporters are like, You uh you had some Packers players at the game. That had to be mighty cool for you, huh? It's like he's He's coaching in the NBA Finals. I don't think he gives a dang which other professional athletes are in the crowd. Oh, yeah, well, it was really cool to see David Bakhtiari. It was the coolest moment of my career. Look, the man's trying to coach. Ask him about basketball stuff, okay? Like, this is about the Bucks. The Brewers are about the Brewers. I hate when the Packers try to backdoor their way into everything. We finally got some juicy content about Aaron Rodgers. It's from our boy Shefty, our boy Adam Schefter. This is an Adam Schefter show. I'm very excited to dig into this. You think of uh, the line from Star Wars, Attack of the Clones, Christopher Lee, Count Dooku. He's got the lightsaber in his hand. He goes, oh, I've been looking forward to this. I've, I've been looking forward to this all day. And the Bucks are playing in the finals tonight. This is going to be a fun conversation. I want to preface this before we get into this audio from Adam Schefter on the Chris Collinsworth podcast, Pro Football Focus. I want to preface this by saying something that I think I've said before, but I want to make sure we're all clear on this. This is my stance. It is the stance of others, most notably Bart Winkler, who was on the show yesterday. He shared this take, and I'm like, that's correct. That's amazing. I love it. I think we've handled this Rogers story as poorly as possible because I don't really think it's a story. Now, I'm not going to fault the journalists and the reporters who are scooping up these facts and reporting them because it's their job. It would be like you blaming me for coming on and talking about the Brewers losing. It's literally my job to come on the radio and talk about what's going on, and it's reporters' jobs to report and write about what's going on. But the 24-hour news cycle and the, what did Rush Rush Limbaugh call them? The drive-by media, right? It's this media landscape that, like, there needs to be an update on the Aaron Rodgers saga. Well, first of all, it's not a saga. There doesn't have to be an update. I don't even think this is a story. I think this is Aaron Rodgers who lost an NFC Championship game, a little bit frustrated about the Jordan Love thing, met a new girl, completely adopted her personality as he's done with other friends and girls in the past. And I don't think that's unfair for me to say because we have heaps of evidence. He goes to Hawaii, makes new friends. He's having he's having the time of his life. He's growing out his hair. He's playing guitar. Great. Not faulting him for that. He wants to stick it to the Packers a little bit. I'm not going to fault him for that either. But at the end of all of this, he's probably going to come back and play for the Packers because his other options suck by comparison. And we're going to spend all of these months talking about, well, they could trade him here for this. And well, what if he, what if the, the Broncos get involved and, and trade him here? And oh, 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 and Jay Glazer says to keep calling. Uh, and, and, and James Jones says he'll mediate, but uh, no one will ask him. I, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't think this is a story. I think we've made it a story because it's the way our, our media sphere works. And now it's impacting our Bucks talk, too. I saw a tweet 
uh, from uh, another radio show in the state. It's like, hey, if Aaron Rodgers shows up at the game tonight, are you going to cheer or are you going to boo? I don't care. Ha ha, I don't care. I'd rather talk about Chris Middleton. I'd much rather talk about Chris Middleton or anything else. I'd rather talk about concession prices in Pfizer form than talk about what a reaction would be to Aaron Rodgers at the game. I know he can't chug a beer, and I can't chug a beer super quick either, but you know what? I can chug a lot faster than that. That was a pathetic chug from Aaron Rodgers. I just want to get that. I, just, I, I, I resent this whole line of, of reporting from the very beginning. I'm not faulting the reporters for doing their job. It's just what this has created and what this has turned into. I just think we're going to look back and think it was all a dumb waste of time, which I guess a lot of sports is just a dumb waste of time. We just buy into it because we love sports. Anyways, here we go. The Chris Collinsworth podcast used to also have Richard Sherman on it, but I don't know if you saw what happened with Richard Sherman last night. Uh, a little bit of a hit and run thing, a little domestic violence thing. So maybe he'll be done with the, the podcast. I saw this video on Twitter and the headline in this video is already problematic because the headline of this video is Adam Schefter explains how a Packers Rogers divorce could look. Once again, I don't blame Schefter. I kind of blame ESPN because this isn't Schefter's job. Just like it's not Woj's job to be on ESPN's NBA studio show. He's a reporter. He gets scoops. He reports facts. You don't then take that same person and stick them on a podium and ask them to explain how the Packers should trade Rodgers. Or, oh, well, great halftime adjustments by blah, 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 blah. That's not Woj's job. And he's not even good on TV. And if we're being real, neither is Schefter. I'm frustrated that they make him do the whole, uh, you got Moss. Thing. He's not a personality. He's a reporter. Let him be a reporter. And when he does things like this, it's a contradiction to his job. One might even call it a conflict of interest. He's a reporter. He's not an analyst. I am not a reporter. I am an analyst. I do different things. Schefter does different things. Nary our paths shall cross, except in this instance when Adam Schefter is going off on the Chris Collinsworth podcast. Here it is. I think Aaron Rodgers has been passive aggressive about this whole thing. If he wants out of there, which I think he does, I think he's got to get some mud on his hands. And I think he's got to come out and say something to this effect. I love my coaches. I love my teammates. They're incredibly important. I love the fans. And I loved playing in Green Bay. But that time for me is over. I'm moving on in my life. Uh, I'm getting married. Okay, wait a minute. I had to stop it. What? What? What am I listening to? Am I? Am I Adam Schefter's like, hey, Rogers tells the organization, uh, it's a new chapter in my life. I'm getting married. I got a new girlfriend. Ma the, ma the marriage thing, who, ca who cared? I don't care about the relationships of my closest friends. So my buddy the other day, he's asking about uh, his relationship. And I'm like, look, dude, do you like her? It's like, I, if you like her, I like her. If you don't like her, I don't like her. Do what makes you happy and stop caring about what everyone else thinks. Our society would be way better for it. I don't care about my friends' relationships. I certainly don't care about my quarterback's relationships. And now that it's supposed to have contractual implications, now I'm even more jaded. No, 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 no. Shailene Woodley, you seem nice, but I'm further distancing myself from this. Adam Schefter's like, well, trade me because I'm starting a new chapter in my life. I don't care. I don't care. Packers don't care either. Anyways, uh, continue, Adam Schefter. But that time for me is over. I'm moving on in my life. Uh, I'm getting married. And I am not going to be returning to Green Bay as much as that organization and those people have meant to me. Okay, and then here's my press conference if I'm Mark Mur Murphy or Brian Gutekunst. Aaron Rodgers has been a fantastic player for us. He's won us a Super Bowl. We love him here in Green mm -hmm. Bay. We will always love him, and we wish him well in his retirement. Goodbye. Now okay. Now Aaron Rodgers comes out and says, okay, that's even trade me. I want to be traded. No. 
We're not trading. Okay. You're playing for the Green Bay Packers. You're playing for nobody. You're under contract. No problem, Mr. Murphy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go host Jeopardy. Thank you for squatting on me and not getting back three first-round draft picks and, and various players to help your own team. We signed you to a long-term contract. You knew what you were signing. We knew what you were signing. We want you to play here. We don't want to play against you. If you choose to retire, that's your choice. Because you want to show me who's boss, you're not going to improve the Green Bay Packers because you want to wish me luck in retirement. Okay, good luck with that, Mr. Murphy, as your team is flailing behind Jordan Love playing quarterback. Rawr. <laughs> A little bit of attitude from Shefty. I, I think, first of all, this is entertaining because I, I think that's how this will go. I don't know if they've had these conversations. I, I think that these conversations are being had without, you know, having them. Or sometimes you can have a conversation with somebody and not have them. You've seen uh, uh, the other guys. When Sheila and, uh, oh my God, what's his name? Uh, what are the cops' names? Will Ferrell's name in this movie. This is embarrassing. It's one of my favorite movies. And I'm having a brain fart on air. But uh, the cop, Will Ferrell, and his wife Sheila, first time they met, they didn't say anything for three days. All they did was hang out in a hotel room. They, you know, and they communicated with facial gestures and winks because they were just that in tune. This is a conversation between the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. You can have this conversation without, without Hoyts and Gamble. My God, Terry and Terry Hoyts and uh, Alan Gamble. Oh, that I'm mad at myself that I couldn't think of that. Hoyts Gamble, captain, not good, right? They didn't need to talk. The conversation was had without needing to speak. This is the conversation that's going on between the Packers right now. Aaron Rodgers wants to get out of there. The Packers know that, and Aaron Rodgers knows that the Packers are going to do nothing about it because they don't have to. And the Packers know that Aaron Rodgers will probably show up and play because he doesn't really have any other option. I think that this is very indicative of the conversations that are happening, even if they're not happening. But I also think this is a good example. If you pay attention to the tone, you hear how Schefter is rattled for some reason? Like, Schefter's kind of upset. And Chris Collinsworth is like, eh, no. He's so relaxed. Listen to this exchange right here. This is what I'm talking about. Now Aaron Rodgers comes down and says, okay, that's even Trade me. I want to be traded. Uh, no. We're not trading. Okay. You're playing for the Green Bay Packers. You're playing for nobody. Like, you hear this? Well, trade me. I want to be traded. And Chris Collinsworth is literally like, no, we're not going to do that. Now Aaron Rodgers comes out and says, okay, that's you. Trade me. I want to be traded. No. Uh, no. We're not trading. Okay. You're playing for the Green Bay Packers. You're playing for nobody. Yeah. Yeah. You see how he's coming from the position of power? From the position. And it blows my mind that Schefter's just bent out of shape. Why is he? Is he okay? Can someone check on Shefty? It seems like, I, I don't know, something seems up with this man. But Adam Schefter, listen to him. He's, he's kind of petty. He's fired up. And, and Collinsworth is like, okay, good luck. Because you want to show me who's boss, you're not going to improve the Green Bay Packers because you want to wish me luck in retirement. Okay, good luck with that, Mr. Murphy, as your team is flailing behind Jordan Love. Wah. Because now Aaron Rodgers is really concerned about the future of the Packers. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. Okay, Adam. Yeah. Well, well, I hope you're proud of yourself for not getting a good return for me. Oh, that That's a real good look for you. Yeah, not caring about the future of the Packers. The Packers are the team that Rodgers is leaving in this situation. Like, I, what the hell? You know, if I were to quit my job, if I were to storm into my boss's office and be like, I'm getting out of here. I'm gone. And my boss is like, okay, I, I guess bye. I don't then immediately turn around and be like, so who are you going to get to replace me, though? Like, I want to make sure they're good. Like, I don't want to leave this place leave this place in shambles like I'm still like no it's not how it works either you're storming your way out and you want out 
or you care about the team that you play for. It can't be both ways. Well, good. Yeah, good for you not getting three first-round picks for me. Because you want to show me who's boss, you're not going to improve the Green Bay Packers because you want to wish me luck in retirement. Okay, good luck with that, Mr. Murphy, as your team is flailing behind Jordan Love. What is it with Schefter and just dumping on Jordan Love? Like a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? Like, oh, with Jordan Love, they're one of the worst three or four teams in the league. Uh, I don't know about that, Adam. I think that's kind of cap. I don't I don't think that's true. Like, if, if, hey, if you want someone who's talked about the organizational failures and the draft process issues of the Packers, I'm here, hand in the air. I'm, I'm right here. All I've done for the last couple of months is talk about how this team is addicted to losing NFC Championship games. I am not exactly deeply and passionately in love with the Packers at the moment, but one of the worst teams in the league, what are you talking about? The Texans exist, right? The Lions exist. Get Stop. Just stop. What is Schefter's deal? Aaron, our friend on Twitter, tweets at me. He shares this tweet with me. It's from Bruce Irons. The tweet says, The difference between Adam Schefter and Bears fans is that Bears fans have a reason to desperately hope Aaron Rodgers doesn't come back to the Packers. I don't get it. Like, yes, Adam Schefter has the same agent as Aaron Rodgers. This is so obvious that, that this is messaging that's sent through Rodgers' camp. It's just, I've never seen someone take it to this extent it's the same with glazer when he was on mcafee a couple of weeks ago and he's like hey just so you know teams you gotta keep calling pick up the phone and dial again like he's encouraging people to vote for american idol (laughs) keep through operators are standing by come on keep going what the heck is this so weird it's bizarre he's probably gonna play for the packers because he doesn't have another great option that's that's probably how it's gonna work and we're gonna look back at these last couple months we're gonna think god what a what a monumental waste of time we could have been discussing the universal DH. And instead, <laughs> and instead we talked about Aaron Rodgers' contract. What a waste of time. Oh, it's so stupid. Let's take a break. I don't know what I want to close the show with, but we got three minutes and ten seconds to figure it out. So let's do that after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. <laughs> <laughs> 